I think we sent out a, an email, but um, the really good news is that 10 minutes before I left for Guadalajara for 12 days, I was able to reach my surgeon, and um, he said the hip is healing naturally, which he didn't think would happen. He was very surprised, actually, that it's healing naturally, so he says no surgery, which is fantastic. So um, two more weeks, three more weeks on crutches, and we'll throw them in the air and burn them and and, uh, give praise to God. All right, so I'm just going to read this because otherwise I'll get carried away and take the entire morning. I just got back from uh, 12 days in Guadalajara, taught for 23 hours, over 10 days in five churches. I was asked to come for two main reasons. The first was last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday, and these churches have all said, I don't know, I'm the designated help people get filled with the Holy Spirit guy. So come down and stir things up and pray for our people and lead our churches into more of the Holy Spirit. So that was the goal. We had two Holy Spirit meetings on Friday and Saturday. A lot of people were filled with the Spirit for the first time. We saw some uh, salvations at those meetings. On Sunday, I spoke at a large church for two services, and the response was really, really good. Many people were filled with the Holy Spirit, and uh, many received accurate prophetic words. In the evening, I spoke at a new church plant, which has not had much experience with the Holy Spirit. And I taught on the evidence of a spirit-filled life. What kind of life should we be expecting? And at the end, for the application time, I suggested to them that the Holy Spirit would speak to them about one or two of these characteristics of a spirit-filled life. And if he did, they could come forward to receive more. Well, the whole church came forward, which turned into a really powerful, really powerful ministry time. People were, were, uh, some of them were shaking. Uh, They they, they were feeling heat in their hands. They had a lot of obvious physical signs that God was touching them. And many people were deeply touched with the love of God. The pastor was really, really excited. Yeah, he was. He he said, okay, how how are we going to keep this happening in the church? And I spent a lot of time throughout the week counseling him on the various ways we can keep uh, the Spirit's ministry as, as, a, as a sensible and balanced part of, of a Sunday meeting. So we spent a lot of time on that. Um, let me think. During the week, um, I had nothing booked. So I'm there by myself, no Shelly. I don't have a phone. Um, the hotel doesn't have a phone. And I think, this is going to be desperate. I'm going to get really lonely, and it will be really sad. Very quickly, the entire week filled up with one-on-one counseling sessions and strategy sessions with all of the pastors and many of their staff to where I was running from one really good restaurant to another, um, help, helping, helping people to advance the kingdom of God while advancing this right here, Gordo, Estoy Gordo. So anyway, the week was filled with meetings, and then they scheduled more meetings at night. I was pretty well every night of the week was out doing something, which was wonderful. And then the, the, the uh, trip was going to be completed by me teaching at a leadership institute that the large church had developed, about 80 people in training for ministry. And I had a dream two years ago of the – I saw Shelley and I teaching at this um, – institute but it didn't exist two years ago and then a year uh, six eight months ago they 
they called and said, we want you to come and teach at our institute. I said, what institute? And they said, well, the one you had a dream about two years ago. Uh, we've started it. So this was a breakthrough for me. This was a ful- fulfillment of a passion that God gave us two years ago. So I spoke on the, the difference between religion and relationship, the, much of what was in my first book. And uh, it was for five hours of teaching with about 80 people. And halfway through, we took a break. And when we came back from the break, the senior pastor whose vision this institute was, he's a very good theologian, he got up and began to speak in, in Spanish before I spoke. And one of the other interpreters came over, and I said, what is he saying? And she said, he's saying that this message that you're hearing now, you'll never hear anywhere else. This is, this is a very powerful, radical teaching, and this is the heart of our church. He said, you really need to pay attention to this because it's life-changing. And then he interpreted for me for the rest of the the last three hours of the meeting. And we went into a ministry time at the end on the spirit of adoption where Paul says, um, the spirit testifies that you are a child of God. He provides conclusive evidence that you are God's child. And we prayed for this to happen for people. And people were uh, in tears, just broken down all over the room. It was really, really extraordinary. Then we had a sharing time of what, what was happening to them and what they were experiencing from, from God. And I, I was just in tears. I, it was wonderful. People were deeply, deeply touched. The pastor kept saying, as he was interpreting, he turned to me and said, I've never seen anything like this in my life. This is amazing. This is, this is wonderful. So we capped off finally another church the next day. And I'd been referred to that church by another pastor. The pastor of this church didn't know me. And I show up at church and he says, what are you going to do? Are you Are going to do that Holy Spirit stuff? And I said, well, I thought that's why you wanted me to come. And he said, well, it is, but we've had bad experiences in the past. And these are all business class people and they're very sophisticated and they're, they're not going to like this weird stuff. So I laid out four sermons on his desk. I said, look. Here's what I can do this morning. You pick the one you like. And he said, that one. And I said, that one's about the Holy Spirit. And he said, I know, but I like what you're saying in it. Just don't, just don't be crazy. You know? What a stupid thing to say to me. Don't be crazy? Pal, you don't know what you're in for. So we launched into the sermon, and, and they were, got them laughing. They were having a great time. And I was fooling around like an idiot, and they all thought it was safe. And then I hit the part of they, they all relax. They let their guard down. Oh, this is going to be okay. And then you slide in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Bam, they just got wasted. So all he, again, an altar call at the end. You know, who, how many of you did the Holy Spirit just speak to? All the hands go up. Well, come forward for more. And they came forward, and it was just dynamic. I mean, it was wow. so much fun. And afterwards, the pastor said, uh, afterwards, the pastor says, man, that was just great. When do we do it again? So we're already planning the next one. Just a quick caption. Uh, Two people I counseled with a month ago when I was down there, I came back, and they're both Christians. In the meantime, they'd they'd accepted the Lord. So a great trip, you guys. Thank you for supporting us and and, uh, making it possible for us to go and do these kinds of things because God's really moving down there. And if you don't know Stephanie, she is an incredible woman, has a missionary's heart. I've been to India with her in January, and it was transforming, life-changing. We got to see God's Spirit do amazing things. 
And uh, so we're going to hear from her this morning, hear about her trip and where your funds can sow into. You can give through prayer and you can also give through finances to bless the people of India radically and to send her. So let's hear from Stephanie and then we're going to pray and send her off. Well, thank you guys. I'll be leaving on Wednesday for Dallas and then Thursday for India. We have a team of 17 people. We're going to Assam in northeast India where most of the people have never heard about Jesus. They have no idea about the good news that we're going to share. So waste me, John. Great. Well, here's the thing. Here's the problem. Mark was not supposed to go down there, but we're not going to make it come back up here. But I am going to give you this microphone in case you have a prophetic word. Can you prophesy this far away? Oh, yeah, it'll work. It works. All right. Okay. All right. Let's, uh, let's reach your hands out to Stephanie. I just want to say something. I am so humbled to be the leader of a church that's got so much power. My gosh, Mark going down there's a revival. She's going to India. She's such a pastor's heart. This rocker over here. I mean, we just have such a great uh, spiritual community here. It is so fruitful, so amazing. These two radical youth leaders down here. They've got a a huge future ahead of them. Jesus, thank you so much for Stephanie. Her heart for missions trumps all of ours. It's just a gift. It is just a gift. And so we're just so blessed that she's part of our spiritual community and going to India in your name. And we bless her and we pray, Father, your kingdom, your kingdom, demolish strongholds and all demonic regimes in the spirit realm. In India, where they were held in bondage to false religions and lies, demon possession, spiritual harassment, spiritual blindness. But your gospel is the power of God to those who believe. And it can demolish every stronghold and set every human being free. So, Lord, as Stephanie obeys you and goes... We, Father, expect and we pray as a spiritual community in your son's name for signs, miracles, and wonders to follow her everywhere she goes. Stephanie, I just heard the Lord say, tell her that whatever risks she'll take in the Holy Spirit, I'm going to honor. Like oftentimes uh, we need, we, we feel we need a direct word from the Lord to take action. But this time he's saying, whatever you choose to risk in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to honor. So you've got a credit card that he wants you to use and just charge it up. Just go for it. Amen. So so how can we, uh, doctor said, you are in terrible shape. You've got to do something about it. First, tell your wife to cook more nutritious meals. Stop working like a dog. Also, inform your wife that you're going to make a budget and she has to stick to it. And have her keep the kids off your back so you can relax. (laughs) Sounds good. Sounds right. Unless there are some changes in your life, you'll probably be dead in a month. The man says, Doc, this would would sound more official coming from you. Could you please call my wife and give her those instructions? Well, when the guy got home, his wife rushed to him and said, I talked to the doctor. She wailed and said, poor man, you only have 30 days to live. (laughs) So honoring dads is incredibly important, but especially in the environment that we live in now. I mean, over the last 
couple of decades, few decades, there's really been an agenda uh, to devalue fatherhood. To the point where some say it's not even necessary to have a dad anymore. They're irrelevant. And you see this in the media. I mean, the commercials, the sitcoms, the dad's an idiot. He's incompetent. And the mom fixes everything. It's true in my home, but in most fathers' homes, this is not the case. And look, I laugh too, but there's an underlying message there that men are incompetent and they are, uh, they are bumbling idiots and they are unnecessary. But statistics have proven, which, you know, it doesn't take a rocket science to figure this out, you would think, but in a fallen world, you come up with crazy uh, theories and beliefs. So it takes social science to catch up with the Bible that says um, fatherlessness creates uh, more uh, drug addiction, more incarcerations, more unwanted pregnancies, more poverty, more crime. So, of course, the person behind this is the devil. Because Satan knows that fathers are created in the image of the Father in heaven. And so fathers represent God to their children. And um, we stabilize homes and societies. That's what God has designed us to do. That's what he's designed us to be. So today, dads, we are going to honor you. We're going to talk about how you are created in the image of the Father and uh, how you have his attributes. And so the best way to look at the Father's attributes, your Father's attributes, is to look at the Father's attributes. And so let's go to Psalm 68 and let's look at verses 5 and 6. This is one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. Look at this powerful passage. God, and is who he's talking about here, is a father of the fatherless. How beautiful is that? The psalm begins with verse 1 that says, Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. So this psalm is about the violence and the wrath and the strength of a dad who sees people in trouble, the weak, the oppressed, the needy, the vulnerable. And as it talks about the strength of God, the first characteristic that comes out of the psalmist's pen is he's a father to the fatherless. Because God knows that everybody needs a dad. It goes on to say he's a defender of the widows. Is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. God knows it is not good to be alone. Everybody needs to be in a family unit. He brings out those who are bound. This is again talking about his fatherhood. And you have to translate the earth, the heavenly father, then makes men, dads, into his image as earthly fathers. And so they have the same characteristics. Fathers to the fatherless, defenders, defenders of the weak and the needy. Um, he sets solitaries in families. They create families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. But the rebellious, those who refuse to be fathered, the rebellious will dwell in a dry land. Fathers bring blessings to the earth. How important is fatherhood is the, if the first characteristic he shows here is that he's a father to the fatherless. The word father means this. 
It's the word ab, A-B. It's the first uh, uh, word that comes off the lips of a Middle Eastern child in particular, ab. It means the producer of a certain thing, provider, architect, builder, creator, one who causes something to be forefathers. That's what the word dad or father is, a producer of a certain thing. That's why we always have to be fixing something, by the way, ladies, just so you know. We can't help it. We just can't. It's who we are. It's how we're hardwired. We have to fix things, including you, of course, which never works out well at all. In fact, if you're newly married, let me give you a big piece of advice. Your marriage is going to explode with joy when you just start leaving each other alone. Right? Like, well... I didn't do so well on this one. Hope won't drive if I'm in the car because I can't leave her alone with her driving. Yeah. So if we're going to drive, she just gets she just gets in the passenger seat. My bad. I ha- I'm still growing. I'm under construction. But uh, for the most part, we have learned to leave each other alone. We were just fine before we found each other and we don't need to fix each other. Can I hear an amen? Anybody at all? Amen. So the sooner you decide that your spouse was successful before they met you, the better. Because then you can just leave them alone and they can be who God designed them to be. And honey, your driving is amazing. I'm just wanting to learn from you. That's really what's going on there. But fathers are always trying to fix something. We just have to. That's why we can go to Home Depot. You walk through the doors of Home Depot and it's like, I'm home. It's I, I don't it's just you smell the lumber. Just, you know, just walk, walk through, look and feel, put a hammer in your hand. You spend the whole day there. Don't buy anything. You just walk around. This psalm says three things about fathers. They are producers, protectors, and providers. The word father is to produce. The defenders of widows is the protector. And bringing the bound into prosperity are providers. So I'm going to look at these three things very quickly. Fathers are producers, protectors, and providers by their divine makeup. Fathers are miserable if they're not producing something, protecting someone, or providing something. Again, it's just who we are. Now, I'm aware that the, the ultimate reality is just having an intimate relationship with God without producing, protecting, or providing anything. But look at how in the very beginning when God created Adam in his image and they had intimacy and friendship and relationship, the next thing out of God's mouth was now go be fruitful, multiply, and take dominion over the earth. That's why we like to blow stuff up. I remember the first time Rick Higgins here oversees our men's ministry. I mean, he's a man's man. He said, now, for those of you that are in favor of gun control, I apologize for what is about to come out of my mouth. So he says, hey, I, want, I have a friend who has a shooting range. Really, it was just an area in the back hills of Escondido, and it was just a mountain. And he said, uh, I'm going to you know, have some guys come out and shoot. And I said, oh, okay, that's great. That, that, that's, that's interesting. So I showed up as the pastor, and I thought there would be two or three guys that came out with a rifle or two. Oh, dear God. Like 45 guys show up, and they are armed to the teeth. I felt like the safest pastor in the world. 
And they blew the mountain off the map. That's all they're doing is shooting at dirt. I mean, they're just shooting at stuff. I'm like, man, they were in a horseshoe like this. And I just stood back and watched. It was, it was something awesome to behold. So the first thing fathers are, are producers. What is, what's the primary thing that God produces? Sons and daughters. And it's the same with an earthly dad. You're not a dad until you produce a son or a daughter. Then you become a dad. God produces children, sons and daughters. This is about identity. This is why fatherlessness is so um, harsh on a, on, on a child. Because your identity comes from your father. Primarily. That's why fathers have such power, because of the authority God has given to the man. Jesus had the security because as he came to the earth in a human form, right before he began his ministry, what he was going to do, what did God say? A voice boomed out of heaven right before Jesus was about to do his first act. What did, what did God say? Say it out loud. This is my son who I'm well pleased with. You better listen to him, right? I mean, that's father and son, man, right there. This booming voice. This is my son. And then immediately after the father says, this is my son, Jesus is driven into the desert and tempted by the devil who wants to strip you of your identity and your self-worth. That's his whole goal. The temptation said three times was, if you be the Son of God, do something. If you be the Son of God, do this. If you be the Son of God, prove your identity. But Jesus didn't have to prove his identity to anybody because he got his identity from his Father. Everything flows from fatherhood. Even spiritual families. The Bible says the qualification of a pastor is that he's able to manage his own home well. God wants mothers and fathers to lead churches because churches are families. That's why, you know, Catholic priests are called fathers. I know some of us chafe at that, but even Paul called himself a father. He said, you have many teachers, but not many fathers. He has spiritual sons and daughters. You know, it's, it's not so much of a title as a function and a role within a spiritual community. So our, our job, our role is to produce spiritual families. The word father, Ab, means forefathers, like producing a nation called the United States of America, which is why I think it is sinful for history departments now and many of our public schools teaching about the sins of our forefathers instead of the sacrifices of our forefathers and saying that we are not a nation of exceptionalism. They are, they are stripping our identity from what our forefathers birthed. The Bible says if the foundations are removed, what can the righteous do? And our foundations are under threat right now by looking at the sins and the weaknesses of our forefathers. What if we did that with you? What if we looked at your sins and promoted those rather than your strengths and your accomplishments and your, your God-given destiny? It's an agenda to change America from what our forefathers birthed it and produced it to be. Orphans, 
the fatherless. Boy, Hope and I have adopted two children, and I have, we have never seen God act like he has once we adopted children. He loves to go after the widows and the orphans. They're the most vulnerable. I love it when Josiah and Samuel in particular call me dad. When you see a black child and an Asian child look at me, look at you in the face and say, Dad, you know that fatherhood goes beyond race. I love it one time we were out to a restaurant with Samuel and he's Vietnamese and where my family's, you know, you know, four white, whiter than white kids and and the me and hope and we're sitting there with Samuel and the waitress comes up and says, Oh, are you gonna tell him he was adopted when he gets older? No. No. But I was, dri- I was driving with uh, J- Sam and Josiah, and I said to Josiah, because sometimes you can, you can start to feel a little bit lost when, you know, you're black and your whole family's white, and then one's yellow or whatever Sam is, yellowish. And I said to him, our family, we laugh at ourselves. We're, we're an odd family. I know. It. This is, you see us walking into a restaurant, and people are like, what? 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 It's just, and then especially when Josiah's on his ripstick instead of a wheelchair and he's like zipping around and said you don't expect it you don't see that coming right I, I just laugh it's hilarious but i said to josiah we're driving in this car and i said you are as much my son as elliot is and we were talking about it in a legal sense an inheritance sense in a relational sense well you are as much a son of god as jesus is I don't know if I need to qualify that, but I will for anybody here who might need to qualify. You are not the son of God, okay? You got that? But you are a, as much of a son of God as Jesus. You are not divinity. You are not God. You'll never be a God. But you are a son and a daughter of God. I can prove that scripturally, but I'm not going to take the time to do that today. But you see, that's why we don't need the affirmation and validation of people. We don't need to dress a certain way, listen to certain music, uh, act a certain way to be accepted by people because, look, they'll chant your name today and tomorrow they'll curse you just like they did to Jesus. We get our identity from our Heavenly Father and hopefully from also our earthly fathers. Ah, I just love hanging out with my children. I like it when I'm hanging out with Sam and Josiah and Hope will say, what are you guys doing? I just say, yes, exactly. Men's stuff. That could be anywhere from squashing a bug to blowing something up. It really doesn't matter. We're doing something dangerous, you know. I mean, one of the things a father brings to a family is fun. I tell my wife, and forgive me, ladies, this is just my little worldview. I say to Hope, if it wasn't for dads, the world would be a very serious place. I mean, dad, dads are just silly. I mean, dads bring fun uh, 
and silliness into a situation to a family. And it's just so good for children to laugh with their dads because it puts everybody at ease. And being in his presence is, is joyful and, and non-threatening because dads are strong, built strong by God on purpose. They can be intimidating. Dads just like to do silly things. You know, like one time I... Uh, Isabella needed me to, she had volleyball practice, volleyball practice after school and she was hungry. She needed to bring some food. So it's after school. So all the, you know, high schoolers were out there and I went to Subway and got the sandwich she wanted and a bottle of water. And I came into the high school and I saw her with all her groups of friends. I don't know, dads just like doing this kind of stuff. I, forgive us, but we're, we're not going to stop. And so I see her and I'm like, oh, so I'm driving. I don't, I don't break pace at all. I'm driving and I rolled down my window and I chuck her Subway sandwich out the window, and then I chuck her water bottle out the window, and they land at everybody's feet, and the moves turn around like this, and I just burn off, and I, and I leave, and I just go home. So later she said, Dad, everybody says, your dad mad? She goes, no, that's just my dad. And that was the day I became the coolest dad of her friend group. Moms and dads just see fun differently. I mean, like, look at this. You see, <laughs> right? <laughs> they just see life through a different lens. For those of you that are uh, listening online, the dad has thrown the child up about three feet from his hands. Uh, the child sees it as though it's about eight feet from his hands, and the mother sees it as though he's being dropped from a 10-story building. <laughs> the dads will say, hey, man, you break a bone, chip a tooth. Bump your head. But the question is, did you have fun? Right? I'm like, what mom would do this? Right? No. No mom's going to do that. How much fun do you look at that? See, she's laughing. This one's probably got some bugs in her mouth, but that's no big deal because you're having fun. Now, some of the fun just doesn't work out well for the kids at all. And I don't really know what to say about it. This guy's my new hero. Watch this quick clip here of this dad. fathers is provide i'm so sorry uh, uh, prom- uh what did i say produce and one of these we produce for our sons and daughters is fun secondly we are protectors this passage says the fathers are defenders of the widows the defenseless this is about security dads produce security in a family David, the psalmist, says the defenseless and the oppressed are worth going to war for. That's what this whole psalm is about. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. Those who are oppressing the weak. God hates the weak being taken advantage of. 
As children are growing up, they don't know about the world yet. They think they do, but they don't. And they're vulnerable. They lack information. They are innocent. And so they'll trust anybody. And so we have to create boundaries that are of safety for them. And though they might not like it from the earliest stage, like when you're two-year-old, right? Once they start to walk and then they learn how to run, oh, dear God, try going to the grocery store. Try going to Toys R Us. Try going to the beach. I remember we went to the beach. We had your mom, my mom, I think Aunt Renee, you and me, and then our, our, our brood. What? Fix that. Go ahead, fix it. Huh? Yeah, okay. There were a bunch of people there. And it's like everyone had a child. And we're in ocean, ocean uh, side and at the beach, you know, and there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people there. Everybody's got a kid, right? And then we look up, and Samuel is gone. You talk about fear striking a parent's heart. How many of you ever lost your kid before? Just raise your hand. Okay. That, I don't know a fear like it. And, I mean, he was gone for like 20 minutes. We were running every the lifeguards. I mean, we were all searching for him. And finally, about 200 yards down the beach, there's this couple with this little Vietnamese boy. You know, he, he was just tiny at the time, right? And I said, oh, my gosh. I said, how did you, how did you, they said, it just looked a little strange for a little Vietnamese boy to be running down the beach full speed all by himself. We thought, there's just something not right about this. So we create security for our children. This is why at a young age, this is how children view their dads. God does this on purpose. Right. For those who are listening online, you have a dad leaving for work. See a kiddo and the little kid looking up at his dad with a suit and briefcase. The next frame is him looking at his dad and he has on a Superman suit. You know, like on the playgrounds. I remember saying my dad can beat up your dad. No, he can't. Oh, yeah, he can. My dad. Right. I mean, you get in arguments about whose dad is the biggest and the strongest. And the... it's just the way that God has designed it for little children to see their dads as bigger than life. It adds security to them. My dad can protect me. We just have a protective nature. Now that I have three daughters that are 11, almost 13 here on the front row, and 16, uh, I've ordered one of these shirts. I'll read it for you. You can't see it. Rules for dating my daughter. Number one, get a job. Number two, understand I don't like you. Number three, I'm everywhere. Number four, you hurt her, I hurt you. Number five, be home 30 minutes early. Number six, get a lawyer. Number seven, uh, if you lie to me, I will find out. Number eight, she's my princess, not your conquest. Number nine, I don't mind going back to jail. I love that one. Number 10, uh, whatever you do to her, I will do to you. And here's the thing about dads. You know, no matter how strong we come across to our children, when they feel secure, they can get away with anything. I remember one time I was yelling. uh, 
I was just yelling. I was so upset. I'm, I know none of you dads have ever done this, but let me just confess my sin right now. I remember I was just so mad. I could feel the steam come out of my ears, and I was yelling like this in my house. And right in the midst of this dark cloud of anger, Ava, who was about this tall, looked at me, and she walked right up into me and put her arms around my waist and just hugged me like this. Now, that is not fair. It's like this kid right here. I mean, kids can get away with murder with their dads. You can't get mad at that face, can you, as a dad? Flush your keys down the toilet, but boy, are you cute. And finally, number three, gods, I mean, dads are, yeah, you can get it mixed up. Dads are uh, producers, they are protectors, but they're also providers. And this is about prosperity. All of us want our children to prosper, and we want to provide for our children. It's just a joy to us. We sacrifice so much of what we would normally get for ourselves or do for ourselves because we want to provide for our family. We just love providing. True fathers are not about themselves. They are about their children. And I don't mean their children run the household whatsoever. I don't believe in being child-centric, but I do believe in being others-centered, which is our children this season of their lives, we are there to support them and help them be the most successful people they can possibly be. And when they pop out, we sell our house. I get a beach house. You get a little cabin in the mountains. We'll meet in the middle every once in a while, but, and that's how we're going to run. No, we're going to get both houses. We're going to do 50-50. We're gonna, both going to stay in the beach house, and then we're both going to stay up in the mountains. Right? That's how we're going to do it. All right. Yeah, yeah, he probably will. <laughs> but we love our home, we love our family, we love our kids. Taking care of our kids and giving them advice and direction and instruction and all of it is to help, uh, well, just, just to provide. You know, dads love to provide, but we do not like to spend extra money unnecessarily like dads. How many of you have to go around the house and turn off the dang lights in people's bedrooms, living rooms? Raise your hand. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, at one point you just give up on asking everybody to do it, right? And you just do it. Because we don't like spending money we don't have to spend. I mean, we love a good deal. We love a good deal. Like one night a wife found her husband standing over a newborn's baby crib. Silently she watched him as... He stood looking down at the sleeping infant. She saw in his face a mixture of emotions, disbelief, doubt, delight, amazement, enchantment, skepticism. He would stand back, shake his head, and say, amazing, while smiling from ear to ear. Touched by his unusual display and the deep emotions it aroused, her eyes glistened as she slipped her arms around him and said, a penny for your thoughts, she whispered in his ear. Isn't it amazing? He replied, yes, it is. When you take... The time and really look close. How can anyone make a crib like that for forty five ninety nine? But dads just don't want to provide. They want to train their kids to be able to provide for themselves and be successful in life. That's why a lot of times I will have the kids do with me what they want me to do for them. Like. You know, my 11-year-old daughter came down a couple of days ago and said, we have ants in our bathroom. 
I'm like, oh, okay, let's take care of that. Let's take care of that. It's like, come here. So you get in this cover right here, and that's where the ant bait is. It's called ant crack is what we call it. All right, and you get take one off, and you get the scissors, and I just didn't watch the whole thing, and you cut the little thing, and you put it up by your toilet, and a couple days, the ants are all going to be gone. Great. Now she knows how to do it. She knows how to do it. She is going to be a raging success in life. This training includes discipline, delayed gratification, focus, resourcefulness, teamwork. I like my sons in particular. We have a chant we use. I did it. It was my fault, and I'll take care of it. I did it. My fault. I'll take care of it. We do not want excuse makers and victims being raised in our home. We want them to be able to face life full on with character and discipline, resourcefulness, vision, creativity, and problem solve. These are the things that set them up. That's why it says in this psalm that the father takes the bound and brings them into prosperity. We're training. I remember like it was yesterday. I was on the construction site at eight years old. And all I remember hearing my dad say was, I'm not paying you to lean on that shovel. But I tell you, that work ethic has paid huge dividends for me in my adult life. Dads want their kids to be successful. We don't always see exactly the talents and the gifts of our children like God does. But we do our best, like Michelangelo's father. He said, Mike, can't you paint on the walls like other children? Do you know how, have any idea how hard it is to get that stuff off the ceiling? Sometimes you miss it. Or Albert Einstein's father said, but Albert, it's your senior picture. Can't you do something with your hair? Some styling gel or something, mousse? One example of a dad who's a good dad, and we're going to come to a close here in just a couple of minutes. One example of a good dad is a dad who requires their kids to get good grades in schools. That's kind of a no-brainer, right? What you're saying is when a kid is getting good grades in school, they're, they're learning the habits necessary for being successful in life. To put things, first things first, knuckle down, say no to other things, focus, study, mental discipline, um, studying habits. One son who knew his father's heart, though, knew that his dad wanted him to be successful and the grades were really, really important as an indicator of the character development of the child. Uh, well, he left, a, he left a letter for his dad. And his father was passing by his son's bedroom and he was astonished to see his bed nicely made and everything was picked up. Then he saw an envelope propped up on the pillow and it said, Dad, with dread... He opened the envelope and said, Dear Dad, it was with great regret and sorrow that I'm writing you. I had to elope with my new girlfriend because I wanted to avoid a scene with you and Mom. I found real passion with Stacy, and she is so nice. But I knew you would not approve of her because of all her piercing, tattoos, tight motorcycle clothing. And in fact, she's much, more than, she's much older than I am. But it's not only passion, Dad, she's pregnant. Stacy said that we'll be very happy. She owns a trailer in the woods and has a stack of firewood for the whole winter. We share a dream of having many more children. Stacy has opened my eyes to the fact that marijuana doesn't really hurt anyone. We'll be growing it for ourselves and trading it with the other people that live nearby for cocaine and ecstasy. In the meantime, we will pray that science will find a cure for AIDS so Stacy can get better. She deserves it. Don't worry, Dad. I'm 15, and I know how to take care of myself. Someday I'm sure that we'll be 
back to visit so you can get to know all your grandchildren. Love your son, John. P.S. Dad, none of the above is true. I'm over at Tommy's house. P.P.S. I just wanted to remind you that there are worse things in life than a school report card that's in my center dress door drawer. I love you. Call me when it's safe to come home. Sometimes our kids need to put things into perspective for us overprotective fathers. I want to close with this great truth, and that is the greatest prosperity fathers produce, they protect, and they provide. The greatest thing a father provides for his kids is spiritual prosperity. Not only do the blessings that a father draws from heaven into the family bless everyone but the truth is that a dad who brings his children to church the children have a 75 percent more a greater chance of walking with god themselves now for the single moms in here don't let that discourage you because you're here and you're doing what you can do to help your children walk with god and this is what i tell people if you have a praying mama you might as well just give up it is going to be miserable for you until you submit to god The enemy knows this. The fathers with the spiritual heads, producers, protectors, and providers of a home. It's designed by God. And our heritage, our spiritual heritage, passes into our children. When children see that their dad is depending on God, they learn by modeling how to depend on God. When they see the father reading the word, praying, miracles being produced. I love this. One of the greatest illustrations. Um. We had uh, three children at the time, and then we adopted uh, Samuel, and then what happened? Then Ava, that's right, and then we, and then Ava was born, and we adopted Josiah. Is that how it happened? Okay, great. Fathers don't always get the details. And so we went from three children to six children like that. I mean, some of you are freaked out about going from two to three. We went from three to six. And two of them were special needs, acute care. And so I, was, I remember feeling this kind of this overwhelmed feeling. Can you imagine? And I went to church, and uh, one of the businessmen in the congregation came up to me and said, um, God told me to give you my car. And I said, well, that sounds like the Lord to me, brother. (laughs) Good. And then he walked out. And it was like two months later. He didn't say anything else about it. And I'd see him at church. And I thought, well, that where's my car? Right? Of course, you're not going to say anything about it. A couple months later, he came back up to me again and said, I really feel like God's telling me to give you my car. I even told my wife about it. But, man, I'm having trouble because it's a really nice car. And I said, well, brother, if you enjoy living in disobedience, just go on with yourself. So he hands me the keys of this beautiful black Acura. It's just a great car. But here's the thing. I didn't need a car, so I didn't understand why God would have him give me his car. He gave me his car. Listen, we had just gone from three to six to five. We went from three to five. Josiah wasn't there yet. We went from three to five. 
with Samuel. So Ava was just born. In fact, you couldn't go with me to get Samuel because you were delivering, about to deliver. That's what it was. So I'm stuck in Vietnam. I got this orphan in the hotel room, and me and Samuel are living together for a while, which is really interesting. And then you're at home about to de- deliver Ava, and then we're boom, right? So I come home, and this businessman says he, God told him to give me his car. I get the car, and here's the license plate on the car. We just went to five children. We named our youngest child Ava with an E, not an A. And Samuel's birthday, who we just adopted, was July of 04. Talk about a personalized license plate. Is that crazy or what? Every time I got in the car and put my hands on the wheel, I just relaxed. God has got this. He's such a great dad. I got this, John. Oh, my goodness. So, dads, the word to you is, no matter what it is that you need to do to provide for your family, your father's providing for you first as you provide for your family with his provision. And this was the message of Jesus, his primary message that Jesus came to give to us as the human race was about connecting and reconnecting with the Father in heaven. That's why Jesus said this in John 14, 1. Let your heart, let not your heart, that'd be better. Help me with this. Let's all read out loud. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Let's go to the next verse. Do you have that up to where you can go to the next verse? Okay. Let's read this out loud. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. The sun came from heaven to get us, to save us. And then he went back to heaven and he's preparing rooms for us in his father's house. Isn't that such a beautiful image? And then he says this in John 14, 6, when he says, I'm going to go be with the father and you can come in a little while. And Jesus said to him, and, and, and Philip said, or... Uh, One of them said, how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through through me. So that that is why Jesus came. He came to connect us all to the Father. All this other stuff that we do, all the ministry that we do, all the serving that we do, all the giving we do, or the career that you have, the fun that you're having, all the things we do here in the earth. The Bible says God has given us the earth. He's given us all things richly to enjoy. But all these things are just things that are all temporary. What Jesus did was he came to reconnect us to the Father. If you don't have a dad or if your relationship with your dad was... Uh, a hard hard one like mine was, I'm going to tell you, God fills in the gaps. He is a father 
to the fatherless. If you will press into the Father, if you can look through the lens as you read the Bible and as you pray, this is why Jesus, when he taught us how to pray the way he prays, the first word out of his mouth was, Our Father in the heavens. That's where our identity comes from. We close your eyes just for a moment here this morning. You're here today and you've never given your life to the Father. You haven't reconnected with the Father. Jesus said He is the only way for you to come to the Father because you've sinned. And your sin separates you from your Father in heaven. But if you give your life to Christ, who died for your sins, He becomes your older brother. And He connects you to the Father forever. God the Father wants you home today. He wants you back. But it's your choice. You have to decide to come home. And if you're in here today and you have never reconnected with your Father in Heaven by coming through His Son, Jesus Christ, and you want to do that right now, I want to pray for you. Would you raise your hand right where you are and say, I want to connect with my Father in Heaven. I want to receive Jesus as my Savior for the forgiveness of my sins. Anybody here, raise your hand and let me know that's you. Okay, for everybody else, I want to pray, I want to pray a blessing over you. I want you to keep your eyes closed just for a second. I want to ask you to use your imagination for a second. I want, you, I want you to see something in the eye of your mind. I want you to see God as your father before your father was ever born. Can you do that? Just close your eyes for a moment. Imagine your father in heaven, gentle, loving, kind. And see him as your father before your father was ever born. Now, what is he saying to you? What is he saying to you? So I want to close this Father's Day message by asking you. I would love to close with the words of our Father. Would anybody just share what you feel like the Lord just said to you? Over here, Mary. Oh, 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 wow, that is precious. 
And that's biblical, by the way. It's in the book of Revelation. You get a new name. Saul got his new name before he went to heaven. Went from Saul to Paul. Simon went to Peter. Somebody else. What did, the, what did, what did your father in heaven say to you in just those few quiet moments? Back here. I have good plans for you. See, that's where our identity comes from. Hearing from the Father in heaven. That's where your security comes from. That's where your provision comes from. Somebody else. What do you feel like the Lord said to you in that quiet moment? Because he speaks. You are his son and his daughter. He likes to talk to you. Anybody else? Raise your hand. What do you feel like the Lord said to you in that moment? One more. Wow. Wow. I've given you all of my character. Your Father in Heaven sees you. He sees you walking around, sees you at work, sees you with your families. Dads, He sees you trying to be the best dad you can. See Him as the best dad you will ever have. And you're going to find tremendous peace and rest and joy. Amen. Let's all stand. Father, we love you in this house. We love you in this church.